0: Section 36 of T. DeWitt Talmage As I Knew Him. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. T. DeWitt Talmage As I Knew Him, by Eleanor McCutcheon Collier Talmage. The Last Milestone, Part 2 dr talmage was at times acutely sensitive to the thrusts of sharp criticism dealt to him through envy or misunderstanding of his motives a great writer has said somewhere accusations make wounds and leave scars but even the scars were soon worn off of his outraged feelings by the remembrance of his divine master's gentleness and forgiveness how often i have seen the mandate love your enemies do good to them that hate you verified in dr talmage he could not bear detraction or uncharitableness his heart was so broad and loving that he seemed to have room in it for the whole world and his greeting of strangers on an australian platform amid the heathers of scotland or in the golden gate of california was so free and cordial that each one might have thought himself a dear friend of the doctor and he would have been right in thinking so again his sense of humour was so great that he could laugh and poke fun at his critics with such ease and good humour that their arrows passed harmlessly over his head men have a right to his opinions he would genially say there are twenty tall pippin trees in the orchard to one crab-apple tree there are a million clover blooms to one thistle in the meadow his will-power was extraordinary it was endowed with a persistence that overcame every obstacle in his life there was an air of supreme confidence of overwhelming vitality about his every act nothing seemed to me more wonderful in him than this and it entered into all his actions from those that were important and far-reaching in their consequences to the workings of his daily life in the home though his way through these last milestones during which i travelled with him was chiefly through the triumphal archways he had raised for himself upon the foundations of his work. There were indications that their cornerstone was the will power of his nature. Many incidents of the years before I knew him justify this opinion. One in particular illustrates the extraordinary perseverance of Doctor Talmage's character. When his son De Witt was a boy, in a sudden mood of adventure, one day he enlisted in the United States Navy. Shortly afterwards, he regretted having done so. Someone went to his father and told him that the boy was on board a warship at Hampton Roads, homesick and miserable. Dr. Talmage went directly to Washington, straight into the office of Mr. Thompson, the Secretary of the Navy. "'I am Dr. Talmage,' he said promptly. "'My son has enlisted in the Navy and is on a ship near Norfolk. "'I want to go to him and bring him home. "'He is homesick.' WILL YOU WRITE ME AN ORDER FOR HIS RELEASE?" THE SECRETARY REPLIED THAT IT HAD BECOME AN IMPRESSION AMONG RICH MEN'S SONS THAT THEY COULD TAKE AN OATH OF SERVICE TO THE U.S. GOVERNMENT AND BREAK IT AS SOON AS THEIR FATHERS WERE READY, THROUGH THE INFLUENCE OF WEALTH, TO SECURE THEIR RELEASE. HE WAS OPPOSED TO SUCH AN IDEA, HE SAID, AND THEREFORE, THOUGH HE WAS VERY SORRY, HE COULD NOT GRANT DR. TALMAGE'S REQUEST the doctor immediately took a chair in the office and said firmly i shall not leave this office mr secretary until you write out an order releasing my son the hour for luncheon came the secretary invited the doctor to lunch with him i shall not leave this office mr secretary until i get that order was the doctor's reply the secretary of the navy left the office after an absence of an hour and a half, he returned and found Dr. Talmage still sitting in the same place. The afternoon passed. Dinner time came round. Dr. Talmage, will you not honor me by coming up to my house to dine and staying with us overnight? asked the secretary. I shall not leave this office until you write out that order releasing my son, Mr. Secretary, was the calm, persistent reply. The secretary departed. The building was empty, save for a watchman, to whom the secretary said in passing, There is a gentleman in my room. When he wishes to leave, let him out of the building. About nine o'clock at night, the secretary became anxious. Telephones were not common then, so he went down to the office to investigate. And sitting there in the place where he had been all day was Dr. Talmage. The order was written that night this incident was told me by a friend of the doctor's there can be no doubt that dr talmage was justified in his demand of paternal love and sympathy since numbers of such concessions had been made by the secretary and his predecessors his daring and his pertinacity were overwhelming forces of his genius in the winter months of this year i enjoyed another lecturing tour with him through canada and the west the lecture bureau that arranged his tours must have counted on his herculean strength, for frequently he had to travel 24 hours at a stretch to keep his engagements. Occasionally he was paid in cash at the end of the lecture, an amount fixed by the lecture bureau. I have seen him with perhaps $2,000 in bills and gold stuffed away carelessly in his pockets, as if money were merely some curious specimen of no special value. Sometimes he would receive his fee in a check, and as happened once in a small western town he would have very little money with him i remember an occasion of this kind because it was amusing the cheque had been given the doctor as usual at the end of his lecture it was about eleven at night and we were compelled to take a midnight train out to reach his next place of engagement at the hotel where we stayed they did not have money enough to cash the cheque we walked up the street to the other hotel but found there an equal lack of the circulating medium it was a bitter cold night here we are out in the world without a roof over our heads eleanor said the doctor merrily what a cold world it is to the unfortunate finally dr talmage went to the ticket office of the railroad and explained the situation to the young man in charge i can't give you any tickets but i will buy them for you and you can send me the money the clerk said promptly as we had an all-day ride before us and a drawing-room to secure the amount was not inconsiderable i think it was on this trip that william jennings bryan got on the train and enlivened the journey for us the stories he and the doctor hammered out of the long hours of travel were entertaining we exchanged invitations to the dining car so as not to stop the flow of conversation between mr bryan and the doctor we would invite him to lunch and mr bryan would ask us to dinner or vice versa so that the social amenities were delightfully extended to keep us in mutual enjoyment of the trip dr talmage and myself agreed that mr bryan's success on the platform was much enhanced by his wonderful voice the doctor said he had never heard so exquisite a speaking voice in a man as mr bryan's he always spoke in eloquent support of the masses denouncing the trusts with vehemence Traveling was always a kind of luxury to me when we were not obliged to stop over at some wretched hotel The Pullman cars were palatial in comfort compared to the hotels we had to enter But dr. Talmage was always satisfied no hotel, however poor could alter the cheerfulness of his temperament In January 1901 Queen Victoria died and dr. Talmage's eulogy went far and wide I quote again from my scrapbook a part of his comment on this world event while queen victoria has been the friend of all art all literature all science all invention all reform her reign will be most remembered for all time all eternity as the reign of christianity beginning with that scene at five o'clock in the morning in kensington palace where she asked the archbishop of canterbury to pray for her and they knelt down imploring divine guidance until her last hour not only in the sublime liturgy of her established church but on all occasions she has directly or indirectly declared i believe in god the almighty maker of heaven and earth and in jesus christ his only begotten son the queen's book, so much criticized at the time of its appearance some saying that it was skillfully done and some saying that the private affairs of a household ought not to have been exposed was nevertheless a book of rare usefulness from the fact that it showed that God was acknowledged in all her life and that Rock of Ages was not an unusual song at Windsor Castle. I believe that no throne since the throne of David and the throne of Hezekiah and the throne of Esther has been in such constant touch with the throne of heaven as the throne of Victoria. Sixty-three years of womanhood in throne. In March of 1901, Dr. Talmage inaugurated a series of 20th-century revival meetings in the Academy of Music in New York. It was a great gospel campaign in which thousands were powerfully impressed for life. The doctor seemed to have made a new start in a defined evangelical plan of saving the world. Indeed, to save was his great watchword, to save sinners, but most of all to save men from becoming sinners. One of his famous themes, and thousands remember his burning words, was the three greatest things to do—save a man, save a woman, save a child. There was a certain anxiety in my mind about Dr. Talmage in this sixty-eighth year of his life, and I used to tell him that he had reached the top of all religious obligations, as he himself felt them, that there was nothing greater for him to do AND THAT HE MIGHT NOW MOVE WITH SOFTER MEASURE TO THE INSPIRED IMPULSES OF HIS LIFE. BUT HE NEVER DELAYED, HE NEVER TARRIED, HE NEVER WAITED. HE MARCHED eagerly AHEAD, AS IF THE MILESTONES OF HIS LIFE STRETCHED MANY YEARS BEYOND. OUR SOCIAL LIFE IN WASHINGTON WAS SUBSERVIENT TO DR. TALMAGE'S REIGN OF PREACHING. WE NEVER ACCEPTED INVITATIONS WITHOUT THE PRIVILEGE OF QUALIFYING OUR ACCEPTANCE, MAKING THEM SUBJECT TO THE DOCTOR'S RELIGIOUS DUTIES. The privilege was gracefully acknowledged by all our friends we were away from washington too a great deal in the spring of this year 1901 the doctor made a lecturing tour through the south that was full of oratorical triumphs for him but no less marked by delightful social incidents there was a series of dinners and receptions in his honor that i shall never forget in those beautiful homes of mississippi alabama and tennessee because of his gospel pilgrimage of many years in these places dr talmage had grown to be a household god among them when winter had shed its garland of snow over nature or when we were knee-deep in summer's verdure and flowers east hampton was the doctor's headquarters from there we made our summer trips it was after a short season at east hampton in the summer of nineteen o one that the doctor went to ocean grove where he delivered a fourth of july oration the enormous auditorium being crowded to its utmost capacity. A few days later, we went to Buffalo, where, in a large tent standing in the exposition ground, Dr. Talmage lectured, his powerful voice triumphing over the fireworks that, from a place nearby, went booming up through the heavens. After a series of Chautauqua lectures through Michigan and Wisconsin, the doctor finished his course at Lakeport, Maryland, near picturesque Deer Park these were merely casual recollections too brief to serve otherwise than as evidence of dr talmage's tremendous industry and energy in september 1901 came the assassination of president mckinley dr talmage had an engagement to preach at ocean grove the day following the disaster on our arrival at the west end hotel long branch the doctor went in to register while we remained in the carriage at the door Suddenly he came out, and I could see that he was very much agitated. He had just received the news of the tragedy. I cannot preach tomorrow, he said. This is too horrible. McKinley has been shot. What shall I do? And he stood there, utterly stunned, unable to think. Well, we will stop at the hotel tonight, at any rate, I said. Let us go in later the doctor tried to explain to those in charge at ocean grove that he could not preach but they prevailed upon him to deliver the sermon he had with them which he did prefacing it with appropriate remarks about the national disaster of the hour the following telegram was immediately sent to the chief of the nation cut off so ruthlessly in his career of honor and usefulness long branch september sixth president mckinley Buffalo, New York. The nation is in prayer for your recovery. You will be nearer and dearer to the people than ever before after you have passed this crisis. Mrs. Talmage joins me in sympathy. T. DeWitt Talmage. After the death of the President, the doctor preached his sermon, Our Dead President, for the first time in the little church at East Hampton, where it had been written in his study. In October, the doctor was called upon to preach at the obsequies of the Reverend Dr. Sunderland, for many years pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Washington. What a long season of obsequies, Dr. Talmage solemnized. And yet, with what supreme optimism he defied the unseen arrow in his own life that came to pierce him with such suddenness in April 1902. The doctor had been a good traveler, and he was fond of traveling but toward the end of his life there were moments when he felt its fatiguing influences. He never complained or appeared apprehensive, but I remember the first time he showed any weariness of spirit. I almost recall his words. I have written so much about everything, and now it becomes difficult for me to write. I am tired. It frightened me to hear him say this. He was so wonderful in endurance and strength, and i could not shake off the effect that this first sign of his declining years made upon me he was then sixty-nine years old and the last of the twelve children save his sister the last sermon he ever wrote was preached in february 1902 the text of this was from psalms thirty three two sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings this was david's harp of gratitude and praise after some introductory paragraphs on the harp its age the varieties of this most consecrated of all instruments its tenderness its place in the richest symbolism of the holy scriptures he writes david's harp had ten strings and when the great soul was afire with the theme his sympathetic voice accompanied by exquisite vibrations of the chords must have been overpowering the simple fact is that the most of us if we praise the lord at all play upon one string or two strings or three strings when we ought to take a harp fully corded and with glad fingers sweep all the strings instead of being grateful for here and there a blessing we happen to think of we ought to rehearse all our blessings and obey the injunction of my text to sing unto him with an instrument of ten strings have you ever thanked god for delightsome food he asks and for sight, for the eye, the window of our immortal nature, the gate through which all colors march, the picture-gallery of the soul. He enumerates other blessings, hearing, sleep, the gift of reason, the beauties of nature, friends. I now come, he continues, to the tenth and last. I mention at last that it may be more memorable. Heavenly Anticipation. By the grace of god we are going to move into a place so much better than this that on arriving we will wonder that we were for so many years so loath to make the transfer after we have seen christ face to face and rejoiced over our departed kindred there are some mighty spirits we will want to meet soon after we pass through the gates as his graphic pen depicts the scene the meeting with david and the great ones of scripture the heroes and heroines who gave their lives for the truth the gospel proclaimers the great christian poets all the departed christian men and women of whatever age or nation he seems to have already a foretaste of the wonderful vision so soon to open to his eyes now he concludes take down your harp of ten strings and sweep all the chords let us make less complaint and offer more thanks render less dirge and more cantata Take paper and pen, and write in long columns your blessings. Set your misfortunes to music, as David opened his dark sayings on the harp. Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb for ever. Amen. I recall that when Dr. Talmage first read this sermon to me in his study, he said, That is the best I can do. I shall never write a better sermon. I have been told that when a man says he has reached the topmost efforts of his abilities, it presages his end, and the march of events seem to verify the axiom. End of section 36.